Okay, this is Gloria Spitia, uh, Neighborhood Liaison uh, for the Mexican American Community at the Austin History Center. Uh, today is Tuesday, October the 16th, uh, 2012, and I am interviewing Francis Martinez here at the Austin History Center in the Holt Gallery room. Uh, this interview, this oral history interview that we're doing is for the Emma Esparientos Mexican American Cultural Center uh, Oral History Project. Um, Mrs. Martinez has lots of information, so uh, the interview will not only be on the Mac, but also will be a general uh, interview regarding her time in Austin, and she is a native Austinite. So, uh, Francis, do you give me permission to record this interview on behalf of the Austin History Center for the project? I give you permission to record. Okay, thank you. All right, well, I guess what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and start with a basic question. First of all, I need you to state your complete name and then also to spell it out for transcription purposes. Okay. Francis. Basan Martinez, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, Basan, B-A-N-Z-A-N, Martinez, M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z. Okay. Um, when and where were you born? I was born October the 5th, 1942, here in Austin, Texas. I was born at um, 207 Medina. Street. And you've lived there? And I've lived there all my life. I presently live right next door where I was. Uh, I was born there in 207 Medina, and now I reside at 1105 East 3rd, which is right next door, my grandmother's house. Those mm -hmm. two houses. I was born. I was born in my, grand, my dad's mom's property in the back. We had a house there. Now I live next door at 1105 East 3rd. East 3rd, that's my mom's house, my grandmother's house. So it's all within the family. So it's all in the family, and um, I feel very strong and very comfortable there, and um, it's home to me. Yeah, I can understand. At, at those times, there were families that would live all surrounding there. Just double checking. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm double checking to make sure we're recording. Um, tell me about your family, about your parents, and about your brothers and sisters. Okay. Um, my parents were, they've gone to heaven already Juan Bassan and uh, Felicitas Bassan. They were um, both migrant workers. And of course, we went, we would go um, to pick cotton. You want this one in English? Yeah, it, it, yes. It, but you we, can say Tex-Mex to me instead. Yeah. We would go to pick cotton. Uh, my brother Steve Passan, Maria Elena Passan Ramirez, and uh, Tony Passan, and um, Man Jose Manuel Passan. Now, what schools did you go to here in Austin? Um, I went to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and there was the um, elementary and, like they say now, middle school. 
Then in high school, I went to St. Mary's Academy that was um, located on 49th Street. You can see just the fence, the brick fence there. Yeah, yeah. But it was Catholic. Yes, um, I believe Ron Salinas mm -hmm. uh, attended, and he talks about Las Monjitas, you know. Oh, yes. I was making sure that they were Absolutely, man. Uh, absolutely. We had to make sure that we spoke English, no Spanish, and uh, was guess, uh, what would we do, you know? Uh, pues nada más que hacernos entender. But uh, it was hard. It was hard, but... Um, the, the sisters were uh, very adamant of us that we would get a good education, and I'm really grateful for that. That's good. Now, let's go back to the migrant work, because I find that very fascinating. Uh, where were y'all going to when you did go to do migrant work? Okay, um, I, I was the youngest, I'm the youngest of the family, so uh, my brother Steve and my dad, they, uh, they would go to Sinton, to Corpus, to Picatin, and then um, they go to Michigan. And then we would go with, the fa with him, my dad and my uncles, we would go to Oklahoma, to, to Picatin. And I was pretty young at the time, but I still had to do a hundred. <laughs> Oh, that sack, that cotton sack. That, <laughs> yes, that's right. right. I am very and, familiar with that one. And my brother Steve, oh, he loved to pick cotton. He was always, always ahead of the crowd. <laughs> no. Not my sister, Maria Elena. When she uh, graduated, my, my, my dad said, Pues ahora sí vamos a ir a piscar, mija. And she would say, No, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'd rather go to college than go to school. <laughs> No, I remember those days for myself. So we weren't migrant workers, but we worked in the fields, mm -hmm. cotton and uh, shopping corn mm -hmm. and all that. So, but I have heard through the Voices de Latinas project that I worked on that there were at times during the summer uh, a caravan of families going to Wisconsin and to other locations, you know, mm -hmm. where they would go and do migrant work. Exactly. And it's like, but this is Austin, this is the, you know, uh, the state capital, so why were people having to go? And so, mm -hmm. you know, but I understand. Absolutely, because um, we would always start school, it's, well, when we get out of school, the next day we would leave to Oklahoma, but coming back, we always would miss like all the month of September, and then, you know, we would go into school. So there was a little gap there that we were always late for school, and um, a lot of the, uh, you know, people when we would be back, of course, we had new shoes and new clothes, which was really neat. Yeah. Um, in your family, were was politics discussed, and if so, uh, was it local politics, state politics, or national? Uh, my dad was pretty much um, uh, involved with politics. He always was saying that um, we had to be involved if we wanted change. Uh, if the voz is the voto, pero tienes you have to do more than that. You have to pass the word. And at that time, um, we weren't. You know, we were asked to go to those meetings, like, but we, 
to me, they weren't very fascinating. Um, and uh, of course, there was Lulak uh, with Mr. Uh, Roy Velasquez Sr. He, he was really always, we always looked forward, we always looked to him to, I feel, when I first voted with, uh, was back, what, in 64, I believe, when Jack, when um, John Kennedy. John Kennedy. And um, that uh, we would become, but my dad did uh, do like Don Yarbrough that time that I remember, and uh, and I wasn't very much involved with that, but we did attend, and my dad made sure that we voted and that we were registered to vote. At that time, we um, did the, I'm going to say, my 175, the poll tax oh, at that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was it, because you are a well-known community activist here in Austin. I mean, every time I read, people talk to me, whatever. Francis Martinez, Francis Martinez. So what was it? Was there something that stands out in your mind that really got you to say, you know, basta. I'm going to go now and I'm going to speak my mind and I'm not, my voice is going to be loud and no one is going to shut me up. <laughs> That's right. Um, I uh, had, uh, we lived here in, at 1105 East 3rd. It was like I said, my my mother's house that she bought from her family. And um, we we had, um, the house was very livable, but we wanted it to add more room, more air, con we wanted air conditioning, we wanted to be more comfortable home. And um, both my husband and I work for the city of Austin. We um, tried to get a loan, and uh, they said that no, our, our loan didn't pass. And we kept, we went to another bank. And finally I said, um, why is it that we are not getting, you're the third person, third bank that's telling us no? Oh, because you are redlined. Redlined, what does that mean? Oh, well, um, you're on the other side of I-35 and um, frankly, we, we won't let, we won't uh, give money over there. I mean, we don't want to give money. We don't want money. We want to make a loan. Oh, well, we can do a warehouse there because, I mean, we can knock your house down and put a warehouse. No, no, we want our home to be there. What is red line? He says, well, like I said, you know, we don't lend money over there. Okay. So I told my husband I didn't know what else to do. I said, well, you know, um, I'm going to call around and see what does that mean. So I went to other organizations and they're going to help me out. And then so many things going on that I called the city and I said, uh, you know, that we we had been redlined. What does that mean? And that we are needing some clarification. I don't know much about this, uh, whatever redlined is. The lady said, do you know Paul Hernandez? And I said, well, I've heard of him. He says, well, uh, give him a call, and he'll, I'm sure he can help you out. So I said to myself, what do you mean about Paul? I've, I've seen him, I mean, I know of Paul. And uh, so I went ahead and gave him a call. Again, like I, and at that time, like I came in at First Street. So I called him, and he says, well, I'll go ahead. I can meet with you 
in a couple of days, whatever. So yes, he came to my home and uh, he met with us, with me and my husband. And he said, what is it that you're looking for? And I said, well, we want a loan to fix our house. We want it to be more comfortable. And he said, uh, well, what do your neighbors say? Well, I don't know. I mean, we just talk, but I mean, I, I don't know. He says, well, there are different processes that you have to go through. And it's a long process, but um, it has to be done because when they're saying red line, this here, we, this here is zone industrial. That means that all every heat, everything that's here, they put, they can put warehouses. We're not a zone for residential. Well, what does that mean? Says well, that means that you have to change the zoning, the proper zoning with the city, so that they can come over here and rezone and go ahead and and build whatever, like your home that you want to remodel. But one of the things that you need to do is um, get together with your neighbors and see what they want. When was I, well, there we were, you know, thinking. I said, well, we talk to them all the time, you know. Well, so coming to think of it from I-35, we went over there and we talked to the different people. Some of them have already gone to heaven. And well, no, we wouldn't. We've been uh, renting here for many years, and we want to buy our house, but they don't lend us any money. And my next door neighbor, they're buying their home, but they're paying it direct to the uh, owner. But they want to remodel, but for whatever reason, they can't get a loan. So there we were explaining to them. Then Paul came back, and we. We kept we kept meeting with the neighbors, and uh, we said, "Well, what do we do now?" He says, "Well, okay, now we need to make sure that the neighbors are in agreement. If this is what they want. They want it to be residential. These are the steps that we need to do." I said, oh "My gosh, all of that!" He said, "But I said, Paul, I've never. We've never been to city council. We don't even know who, who or when, when to start." So he says, "Well." Uh, they meet on Thursdays at that time. It was there on Guadalupe second. So we went, and we didn't have an issue now. And uh, the ones that were serving there, they well, they knew Paul. And when we walked in, there were about 12, 15 of us, and they were like, what are they doing here? Do they have an issue? And uh, then finally... Uh, they called Paul to the podium, and then uh, the gentleman asked him, one of the council members asked him, and Paul, I could just see him coming down with his little hair just going up and down, saying, no, we're just here to educate the public to see how the city runs. <laughs> and so, oh, they were very surprised, because they had never seen, I guess, Mexicanos ahí. <laughs> So then after that, we started our petition to get, uh, to get a petition going for residential. And of course, that took some time, but we did get very good results. Uh, John Trevino was, at the, uh, was in the city council member there, and um, 
we came, he came down to one of our meetings and said that uh, he was proud of us, that we wanted to fix our home, not just myself, but that we were including the, the community. And uh, after that, we got our zoning. We needed four-way stops. We needed the, um, the railroad crossing. At that time, it was like they said it would be $90,000, and no, we're not going to spend that much money from the budget. We don't have the money. And we said, but the budget? I said, oh, but wait a minute. We all pay taxes. So what do we say? Do we want the railroad crossing? Because people go to, to church there, at Guadalupe Church, and then there is the school that, people, that the kids would have to come up there. We would walk. I remember when we used to walk it, and we just had to, by the our guardian angel, to take care of us because there was no crossing. So then we all got together, and we, of course, we had our zoning, and we had our four-way stops, and... Um, our streets paved, and um, we went and we explained to them what we needed, and um, we went ahead and and got that. Even we got the railroad crossing, and um, that was kind of sad. That uh, many times that uh, I was um, called to shut my mouth up because um, this is the way it is. And I was very, you know, I said, well, why is it we have the right to do this? We have the right for a quality of life. And we moved the, um, the junkyard. And there was um, a, um, a cart there from 1932 that was still there. And all this little, all this pollution coming up to this day as well. And uh, we, we did a form Padre Unido Neighborhood Association. And then after that, we went to Our Lady of Guadalupe. They saw the results that they were getting. And um, we, I went personally, Miss um, Teresa came over to my meetings. And then I went over to Guadalupe and we went ahead and uh, and started an association there, and it's still going very well. Yeah, uh, and I know that it was very active in the 80s and 90s, because there's a number of articles that were being written. Uh, who were some of the members of the of, of that association? Um, of the Valley Nido neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Okay, there was like the Patinas, they're there on, uh, on East 3rd Street, and the, the Alvarez, and... Um, Chela Alvarez and Jose Alvarez, and um, they've gone to heaven as well as Luz uh, Cortez, La Señora Luz Cortez. Her children still own the property there, La Señora Hernández, Mercedes Hernández, and Josefa Bazan. Um, and then, um, like our association goes up to Robert Martinez, mm -hmm. so then uh, we have La Señora Núñez, and many of those people have already moved out. Orita, sad to say, but maybe it's history repeating itself because when I was growing up, there were a lot of uh, Americanos living around there. Now, we have less Mexicanos and a lot of Americanos living there. And um, so 
it has changed dramatically. Yeah. We had our Fiesta del Barrio, we had the Bron Berets, that we had the Centro Chicano that uh, mended it only twice because it was tremendous here. Yeah. Um, during the day I, I did do it, but not during the night. Uh, there was Paul Hernandez, there was, his, um, there was Sam Hernandez, Manuel Mena, De La Mancias, and um, Crystal Mancias. And there were all these folks uh, that were there and there with the Center Chicano that we would help people get fam uh, families to, we would help them with their um, water and light, with food. And um, on Saturdays, there at the Casa Quintanilla, which we call the Q House, uh, Adela Mancias would have classes for the children on Saturdays, so where uh, they would be going to school, they would, um, she would give them um, this background that you're going into first grade now or kindergarten, and this is what it's going to be like, kind of uh, bringing them into the, to the system, to the school. She taught, wasn't she a teacher? Yes, she's, she's a teacher. A teacher. She's a teacher. Yeah. Um, now, let's go back to the Centro Chicano. Now, the Centro Chicano, that's the one that burned down Correct. in, what was it, in the 70s? 70s. Yeah. Um, and then, that's where, then that changed. It went to, from there, I think they've got another, well, the Q house. And then from there to what is Lincoln, I believe. Um, yes, what is Lincoln's one would, would work together with us. Yeah. What is Lincoln's day? We would have uh, conferences there, and they were very fruitful. Uh, some of the also we had um, some rituals, como el Día de los Muertos. We had more tradition. We wanted to instruct our children that the elderly. We look up to them because they have been here the longest and we need to learn from them how, how it was and how it can still be our respect for them, yeah. our respect for the elders. And so we would have like rituals like El Día de los Muertos all night long. And teníamos el maestro que venía de México, Jose Flores, he say, um, it's uh, a maestro, and uh, he's, a, he's a, an instructor, a teacher at ACC. Oh, uh, uh, he's got another lesson. Uh, he had the concertos. Yes, right. And um, they were, I mean, we were very, the kids, they want to learn, the children want to learn. And we had, um, we had those come in, and uh, the Centro Chicano was, um, like I said, the Brown Berets were the ones that were, you know, we had Martin, we have Martin Junior High School there, okay? Mm -hmm. A lot of the parents worked all the time, I mean, every day, that when their kids would get expelled, they would go ahead and uh, keep them at home. Porque no pueden ir a la escuela, they couldn't go back to school, and the parents say, well, I have to take off to get to bring them back to school. And I just started working, or I work at a restaurant, I cannot take off. So Mr. Sam Hernandez and, or Paul would, uh, went with them like twice only to uh, uh, Martin Junior High to make sure that, that we had the parish permission 
to have this child, not stay at, at home, but to come to us. Yeah. And there he would, they would do their homework because they were finding out that they would send them home for two days and they didn't do anything. They didn't learn anything. They didn't learn anything. Yeah. So being there at the Q house, they would at least, we, they would do their homework or their, you know, the work they would send home with. And then after school, they, they started coming and the first thing they had to do is do their homework. And then um, if they did well, uh, all week. Then on Fridays we would have pizza. We'd take them to skating, something special for them, and they liked that. And the parents did too. They really liked that because at least the child was not um, in the street. Yeah, I know that a lot of the photographs that are taken uh, during that time period by the Austin American Statesman. I don't think that 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 might not be. There are very few photographs probably that were not taken with kids. Mm-hmm. There at Central Chicano, or anything really, which really amazes me. Um, even when the Brown Berets had little get-togethers and stuff, always, always the children were involved. Also, they had them there, and so that is the one thing you, you know, you have this image, or you're given this image of you know the Brown Berets and some of these individuals that, mm-hmm. you know, they were troublemakers and so forth. But as we're doing this project. We see that the family, the community, was very represented in that in that particular group, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's one of the reasons why I also, with this project, I wanted your interview to be inclusive of that information mm-hmm. uh, because I think that, uh, like I said, the image uh, of a number of these individuals and also of the group. Uh, I know, like I said, that Central Chicano, you know, burned down, mm-hmm. and so then they moved uh, to the Q House and then to Juarez Lincoln. So let's go to Juarez Lincoln, and, and can you give me an, a, I'm always asking people mm-hmm. that were involved with Juarez Lincoln, can you paint me a picture of Juarez Lincoln and what the community, what it meant to the community? Mm-hmm. I'm not, um I'm not sure if if um, Centro Chicano was housed there, but uh, they worked very close. close they yeah. very worked very close there with them, and it was um, a, a meeting place for the community. We would have conferences there. We'd have families that would come there, like on a Saturday, and we would. Um, let them know about the uh, AISD, about the school system, how important it is to have your children go to school, how important it is for you to get involved. What can you do? What, when can you come? And they did, I mean, in this day and age, some of the parents didn't even know they could come into the children's, to the school, to the class. And it was like, you know, how can we go, you know? So we did. Uh, we did that very much. And, and yes, it's very sad uh, that it closed down. Uh, I just remember a lady named uh, Nympha, was it Nympha Landeros? The day that I decided that I was going to go to college and I was going to go to Lincoln Juarez, I went. But that day they folded up. So it closed, uh-huh. you know. I should have gone, you know, stale. 
but um, it was uh, a meeting place for the community, and uh, it was just very sad that it had to go yeah. the way it did. And that is another thing, too, um, because Austin is comprised of so many recent transplants, and by that I mean people that are coming in, moving into mm -hmm. Austin and so forth. All they know right now is that the IHOP is there. Mm -hmm. But again, the symbol, uh, we interviewed Raul Valdez mm -hmm. uh, for this project. And he talked about doing the mural. The mural, yes. And um, also some of the other uh, murals inside, the paintings mm -hmm. that were there and so forth. Uh, Emilio Zamora also discussed it because he was uh, one of the professors. He taught at Juarez Lincoln. Rowan Salinas talks about the auditorium, the stage, and all dancing. How you would see Amado Peña, you know, yes. doing his work and then seeing some of the literary um, uh, individuals, the writers and so forth, in another corner. And so, you know, back then, uh, Mexicanos were looked upon as not being very smart, but okay, you exactly. know. Exactly. They, uh, we were not looked at as to, we were um, intelligent because many of us didn't finish school. Oh, they, they were migrant workers, or oh, even a Piscar. What they're now, they, they first, well, we have to have an education, right? High school education. So then they were getting into me, it's the way I felt, that they uh, were getting good jobs. And then what happens? You have to have a high, not, not just a high school, you have to go to college. You have to go to college. So, see there, uh, many of us can't, couldn't afford to go to college. But uh, at any rate, uh, I worked for the city of Austin for 25 years and four days. And uh, in 72, mind you, in 72, right here on uh, Sabine Street, the health department, there were three floors there. And there were only three Mexicanas. Working one in each floor, mm -hmm. and um, so I was always called to come and translate, and come and translate for the people that because they didn't speak uh, Spanish. Mm -hmm. the, the, the people that would come in for their blood work and things that they, their uh, their blood work and uh, the uh, uh, we had um, birth certificates there as well that we did it there. So we, I had to come up, and you know, and the way they would talk to us, to me, I mean, you know, it bothered me a lot. Talking because, down to you. Yes, the way they, they would say, "You need to come up. You need to come upstairs. They can speak no, no English." And I'm going like, you know, you can say, you know, will you come and translate? So at any anyway, I um, I worked there. I came in to translate now. One of the things was that um, when I worked there, I started with a nutrition education program, and then that phased out, and then we, I was picked up by the health department in the supply room. And uh, I was um, getting all the immunization materials ready. I would have to, uh, th at that time, they gave the shots at school, so I had to prepare all the vaccine and everything there. Uh, for them, and and then I realized that uh, why is it I'm not getting a raise? So I went to my um, to my director, 
and uh, he said, uh, oh, Ms. Martinez, you don't even have a high school education, but you're very smart. And I'm going like, I said, so I've been only getting my cost of living raise. Well, that's right, because like I said, you don't have a high school education. I said, well, I'm past the merit system, because at that time at the city, we had to take the merit system test. And so he says, well, you need a high school diploma. But never did he say you can go get a GED, right? So I looked it up myself, and uh, adult education, what is this? So I called it in, and I started to go. And I got my GED, and I told him, I brought my certificate, oh, wonderful. No stopping for me then, because I went ahead and uh, I told him, and I, we, I did get my races, and I, I, not only my cost of living race, but then he did give me a fat race because of the work that I was doing. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. And then I just went on and off to be a supervisor. Good. And I enjoyed working with the city of Austin. And like I, when I retired, I, I thank the citizens of Austin that um, I was privileged to work for them because many of them did not know about the services that we had. Mm -hmm. And that was when the, in doing our neighborhood meetings and working out there with the families and working out there in the community that they would come into the clinic. They didn't know they could. Oh, we, pues ahí miramos a model cities, you know, pero, pues que es? You know, and we, and, and to me, I can relate to that. Yeah. I can relate to that because I, I was living right here on 1105 East 3rd, and the clinic is right there on, Coma, on uh, East 6th Street, and I did not know it was there till I went to apply for the um, for the position, and then they said, oh, I said, oh my goodness, you know. And uh, so I became more involved, and uh, there were a lot of services that a lot of our people were being left out because they wouldn't know, but with being the Q House and being involved, and uh, Jenny Grease also, she was, she taught a lot as well for me to to uh, spread the word. Mm -hmm. And Paul Hernandez, I kept telling him, well, I don't really know how to do this. And he says, well, we're gonna show you. You know, I'm gonna teach you how to do it. And we attended a lot of um, conferences at Joe Thompson conferences, how to organize. And um, it was it, it was a, it was a process that I really enjoyed. And then um, I was selected to um, out of 300 people, out of 300 applicants, uh, they chose 50 of us to participate in Leadership Austin. Yeah, and I do have the article about that too. Oh, you do? Uh, yes, I found, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that, that is the one thing, mm -hmm. you know, when we start doing research, mm -hmm. uh, if, we're, if I'm going to do an interview with someone, I like to find out information. So, yes, we got, uh, there's a number of uh, articles here about you. And uh, like this one here, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's quite a bit of information. But now let's go to uh, Lucha, the League of United Chicano Artists. How did you become involved with that? Uh, well, I was with the um, I, I was still being involved with uh, Barrio Unido, and they were housed at um, on East First Street. 
that time. Okay, so Rasia Chab is next to a mission funeral home. And uh, they, they, did a, they wanted board members, and I said, well, I don't know if I can do this because I really don't know much about art. And then Hortensia said, well, this is what needs to happen. Look, we need to do this. We need to make sure that our children uh, learn about art. And sometimes, I mean, they might not want to draw, but then uh, they're going to get familiar with it, and we need to get some funds, and we need to uh, go up to the city and request the funds. And I said, well, I don't think I need to be on the board because it takes a lot of my time. So I was a, a... I was a supporter there that would look for monies to come um, to come to Lucha. And then they moved to um, the Q House as well. And um, we were very successful with the, um, with, the, with the students there at Lucha. Yes, they did a lot of good things. That's another thing that people, you know, it, it was around until, what, mid-80s, from the 70s to about mid-80s, and that's another thing, too. I mean, this is one of the documents that we have on Lucha, and it does give some of the board members and their mission, what their vision was exactly. for El, El Museo, mm-hmm. you know. So We often talked about someday we want to have a museum, a, a culture center, so that... Um, we can display the uh, the art, what our people we we are not just the Mexicanos. We have uh, we have a lot of talent. We're not only uh, limited to one thing, but um, we do many things: building homes, building driveways. It's not we're we're not limited, yeah. and so um, we we felt like we needed to be exposed to the higher-ups, decision-making people, to see us what we, what we could do. And um, we would get funds from there, and uh, Lucha was very successful. Um, what, who were some of the people that were spearheading Lucha? Do you? Um, it was um, Hortensia Palomares, Paul Hernandez, uh, Manuel Mena, and um, there was, um, what was her name? Era otra este muchacha americana que she was there, Tracy Brown, I think it was. También que she was uh, very active and really um, helped us out a lot. Jane Haney, Dr. Jane oh, yeah. Haney, she really uh, helped a lot with us. Uh, been there with her Spanish and then sabe muy bien español, and so she was uh, very uh, instrumental in what we did there. You talked about the day that they they closed down. What is Lincoln? You oh, were going to go. When well, uh, her story también is the day she was going to go teach. They closed it down. So yes. y'all have something in common. Yeah. You were going to be the student. She was going to be the teacher. Yes, that's you know? true. And we just, you know, we were stunned. We were crying. I cried because, it, to me, I felt it was an opportunity. Yeah. To, um, for me, it's an opportunity. Here I am. I had to prepare um, what I was going to say and my resume. And I better start 
Yeah. You know, and business get they say one door closes, another one opens. You never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. Um, now, okay, so Lucha comes along in Museo del Barrio. Um, there is now this push to the cultural arts. Because Mexicanos, we're going to have a, a cultural center. And so now we progress. Let's go to um, the Fiesta Gardens plan for the cultural center. Actually, I think it started in 1978. Mm-hmm. Close by. And then after that, El Concilio de East Town Lake Citizens. Uh, they were called to create a permanent site for the museo. And so they suggested Fiesta Gardens. Let it you know, be Fiesta Gardens. It's this group of people. And then there was a task force that was formed at city council, and you were one of those members in the 1986 You're right. task force. Can you talk a little bit about that as to what y'all were, you know, what your purpose, what the mission of the task force was? The mission was that uh, we would uh, form this task force so that we could work together with the um, city of Austin to um, to make this dream come true, a reality. We wanted um, a museum where, like I said, display our art and different things. So um, Mr. Carlos Pineda, que Dios lo tenga en su reino, talked to me and said, I want you to be on the, uh, on the committee. So then there were a few of Myself, Manuel Mena, and Pablo Hernandez, and um, Hortensia Palomares, I believe. And we we got together. He wanted people from all different where uh, diversity, where the people lived, you know, because this is going to serve the whole city of Austin. And to us, we felt strongly we'd be right here at Fiesta Gardens, to where we could walk to to the place, to the museum. And uh, we worked uh, very, very hard with it, meetings and pictures and how we wanted it. And then there was no money. So there was no money allocated for that. And then they said, no, it couldn't go there because it's dedicated parkland and all these different facets that we, uh, that it couldn't go there. So let me ask you So this. it went dormant for a while. Well, let me ask you this question then. If city council appoints a uh, a task force, were y'all the ones who decided Fiesta Gardens, or was city council already, you know, knew that Fiesta Gardens was a site that y'all would be looking at uh, for the cultural center, uh, and did they sort of did y'all sort of spin your wheels? Were you you know led to believe this is the Good possible thing that's going to happen here, but all of a sudden you find out there wasn't any money. Right. Um, the Concilio is made up of uh, five neighborhood associations. So, in, in our job was to go out into the community where we would hold our meetings to we'd give them up of the, an update of what's going on, what we're involved, tell us is this something that you want, can you talk with your family, with your neighbors, and see. What um, what is it that they want to see, and it, is this feasible for us? Do you even want a museum over here? Yeah. 
So if the fa if the uh, if you don't have the backing of your community, well then you can't go anywhere, right? Yeah. And so we, um, after talking to the many to the to the people and having the meetings, and then we would bring this up to the um, to the committee with Mr. Pinet uh, and let him know. We talked to so many people from this place to the, from this street to the other. We had this. We talked about it, and well. We decided we wanted there at Fiesta Gardens. When well, then it was um, the staff that they would meet with, with the city staff and let them know what we wanted. And then it came out, well, there's, there, was, there weren't any funds for the museum that we wanted. Yeah. Well, that was in 86, and Zeke Romo uh, did a preliminary study on that. On, on all of that, and he does. I mean, this has got some real good information. It's got some, you know, schematics of the map and how things were, and then also um, the site location. Uh, a lot of good information. I mean, they took all of that, and then, as you said, it became dormant. It just did not go on. Um, and at that point, did you continue to stay for the next round of, you know, uh, trying to find an, a, a cultural center, or did you step down from that? Um, I stepped down on that because I became uh, more involved, and um, I would just attend some of the meetings, and I kept abreast of what's going on, you know, with the MAC, with the um, cultural center, mm -hmm. and then the, um, was, um, Kathy Vasquez and her sister, uh, Peggy. Called Peggy. Peggy and um, Ms. Valera, it's Peggy, Kathy, and Diane. Uh -huh. They were really involved in being, they wanted this Mexican American Cultural Center, and I attended some of the meetings, but I was not directly uh, involved with them. When I was at the uh, Planning Commission, they did come and ask, so they come and talked about it. And, yeah. So we voted on that. Did you serve on the planning commission before Kathy or after Kathy? We both served at the same time. She was already there, yes. Oh, okay. Yes, right. so there were, um, both of us were at the same time. Yeah. She had one term ahead of me. Mm -hmm. I had two terms, and uh, that was quite an experience <laughs> at the end. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Um, uh, Jackie Goodman was uh, the, the council person that appointed me. And at that time, it was every Tuesday, every Tuesday from 6 until 12 midnight, sometimes we'd go overtime because we not only did the neighborhood, we did um, the business, the rezoning, we did everything. That uh, we'd get a packet every week and uh, hardly had a lunch hour because I was so busy, you know, um, trying to read my material and ask questions and um, calling the city to ask different questions and uh, I wanted to make sure that the decision that I would make would be a solid decision for the city of Austin and not just for, for one um, section of town but one that would serve everyone that we could be comfortable with. Uh, I think Kathy equated it to being a very powerful mm -hmm. you know, uh, commission. Yes. It's lots of decisions but it you know, a lot of the good things could come out of it if it was done correctly. 
And so that was the one thing. She said that's where she learned some of the things about how to get, uh, you know, with the funding and found out about the land and so forth. Exactly. So can I, um, when you were working at Fiesta Gardens to try to get Fiesta Gardens as a cultural center, what was your vision? What were you really looking at? Did you have your own vision as to, well, this is, you know, what really a cultural center should look like, or were you based on uh, the uh, what um, uh, the other individuals were all talking about for Fiesta Gardens? Uh, yes, we discussed that. Uh, we would have kept some of the sketches that we made, you know, as we were talking, but to me, I felt that it would be a, a building with lots of flowers, with uh, even a um, senior citizen um, place as well to have rooms or something adequate for the senior citizens, and uh, like a lot of roses, and to be uh, a one floor where people could come and 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 see the display and see that. Uh, East Austin is a very, very determined uh, section of town yeah. because we simply, they always look at us and say, oh, no más East Austin. Oh, well, forget it, you know. For East Austin, it's always been mañana. Mañana is here. We need the change for the better yeah. for our children, for our, gener our younger generation that's coming. And we were always involved, and we always want the best quality of life. We pay taxes just like everyone else. And now, those kids, they can hardly wait to be here in East Austin. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to come here. Yes. Everybody's name East. Yes. Uh, is the hippest, what is it? I look at the uh, house hunters, um, and it's the hippest and youngest. It's what they, that's how they that's how they put it on on that particular uh, TV program. The hippest right. and youngest East Austin, Upper you know? East Austin. Yeah. I was at one of the meetings, <laughs> and I'm going like, um, excuse, well, I enjoy living here in Upper East Austin. I'm going like, wait a minute, are you talking about East Austin right here as we speak, right here where we're meeting? Yes, yes. But um, so to me, it's East Austin. Mm -hmm. A segment of town that is um, very fruitful. Yeah, yeah. Very fruitful. They let us. They let us. Todo el tiempo los andan apagando, but it's been a struggle. It has been a struggle for us to repair our homes. The money goes elsewhere. They allocate. They're always surveying, surveying us, studying us, and coming to think of it, when we see that this is what's going to happen. There's no more money. Ya no hay dinero. And it's, it, it, it's, it's always been like that. Come and play with me, you know, but not in my backyard. Pues que es eso. And, and it's, uh, we have been locked out of a lot of programs because money goes elsewhere. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. When... Fiesta Gardens did not materialize as the place to have a cultural center. They started looking at the land where, uh, across on the other side of I-35, uh, 600 River Street. And they started to look at, well, this is possibly a location. 
uh, my understanding at first it was like maybe 33 different locations that they had on the list. Then it got narrowed down to 13, then to three, and then finally the end result was 600 River Street. And they said, well, this is where we're going to build the MAC. Now, before the MAC was actually built, though, they started to use, there was uh, CIMACA being uh, through the MAC task force and so forth, and the uh, creation of CIMACA, uh, a 501c3, with the land being the Austin, uh, the city council, or the city, and there were some buildings there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they started to use it for the MAC uh, to do the pastorales and other events. Did you attend any of those events? Yes, the pastorales that were there, they were, they were very nice. They, I, really, I really did enjoy it several times that they had, you know, that they had them. And um, to me, uh, it's a good location. I wish it would have been over here on this side, but they would not, they would not have built something like that on the other side of town in West Austin with no parking area. To me, I feel it's just like you wanted a Mexican American Cultural Center. Here it is, you know. But there's no parking there. There's no parking, and uh, and that's sad because many of us want to attend a lot of those. I'm in walking distance, you know. But I like to drive sometimes, yeah. but there's no park in there. No lo hubieran hecho en otra parte. And that's very sad. I mean, that is something that needs to be worked on. Yeah, it's, um, now tell me a little bit about Rainy Street. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that has changed a lot también. Absolutely. Todavía vive allí María Elena Bernhardt. María Elena Morales Bernhardt, she still lives there. But that was a beautiful neighborhood, a lot of beautiful trees, and it was close to the river. We'd go uh, fishing there. Uh, it, people had their gallos there, pelea de gallos, and uh, it was just very neighboring, very, very friendly, and we lived right there on East Avenue. As we, you turn there on East, on, uh, on River, on, uh, Rainy Street, and then um, it's we've lost Rainy Street. Even though Mr. Uh, Pete Martinez um, has gone to heaven, he fought a lot for Rainy Street. Yes, he he just we went many many times, spent endless hours at City Council, and uh, it. And like Paul Hernandez said, once we lose Rainy Street, we're going to lose East Austin because we are um, we're next, and that's exactly what's thing. happening. That was the only thing left. That's right. It was the only mm -hmm. part left. Uh, and, and now that's that's what's happening. Um, uh, we have a lot of little what is what are they called coffee houses that have uh, opened up. There is um, the paddy wagons that we complain about it. There are the horses that still live. They're still staying there. Uh, they don't do anything about it. 
I've been in the newspaper many times myself and Gabino Fernandez, and we have got. Yes, oh, there's it, another it's little a, article in here. <laughs> 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 and um, the smell, and everything, you wouldn't have that anywhere else. You would not have that pollution, that awful smell. But it's, and I still complain about it. Mm. And it, and oh yes, and it's going to when they first started. It was in 1996 or 95, and it was going to be temporary with Miss Green. She was going to be temporary there. Uh, it was Paul Saldana that had called to me, and I said, I don't know, Paul. I have to talk to the neighborhoods. But Francis is just they were on Red River, and they're going to be there just temporary, just till she finds another place. Well, it's still there. They're still there, and I'm telling you that, I mean, I, I just don't know what else to do with it. When um, Mrs. Morales uh, Barnhart, uh, in my interest with Rainy Street also is because recently we found a document that uh, goes back to the 80s, but it has photographs of Rainy Street, it has photographs of River Street, where the buildings, where the city facilities were at. But it's really very, you know, we here at the Austin History Center don't have very much of that information. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I would love to be able to talk to individuals there. We're going to be interviewing um, uh, Catherine, Kathy, Cat uh, Quintanilla, the hermana de Anita Quintanilla, and Linda Quintanilla, uh, and because they lived, they the lived family right there, right the there on Rainy Street. Were, so yeah. that is one of the families that we're going to interview um, uh, for this particular project. Because again, Rainy Street is mm -hmm. very much part of the Mac. See. You know, very much part of the Mac. But también I equated with what is Lincoln, or Lincoln, what is Lincoln, and Rainy Street, because it's all there, Cesar mm -hmm. Chavez, then, you know, coming down this direction. So, but now as you go through that street, mm -hmm. uh, you know, don't go after. Six o'clock. <laughs> I mean, even at two o'clock, you've right. got the beer trucks on both sides, and you're trying to make your way. You see, no, you got to go all the way around. Exactly. Uh, and and way back then, you know, uh, don't tell me that we didn't think about things like that to uh, have um, uh, a lounge there. But they would laugh at us. What? You'll never get that here. And we said, number one, no tenemos la capital. Yeah. And uh, the credit, menos, muchos de nosotros ahí vivía Crystal donde está ahorita, right there on Driscoll and Rainy, mira la hora como está la casa de él, que era de su mamá, pues. And it's very, um, I mean, it's it's just not the same Rainy Street. No. Mariel, like Maria Elena says, if you can't, <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them, hasta ya tiene una little trailer ahí ahora. She has a little trailer there, so, um, but no, it's not, uh, it's not the same anymore. Uh -huh. Yeah, it, it, it isn't. I can imagine I'm not from here, but I love to read about local history, and I get so passionate 
fascinated about it mm -hmm. because to me it's people's lives. It's okay. people that actually lived in those homes. Now, true, some of them probably didn't own the homes. They were renting. But, you know, if you're making a monthly payment and you've been doing that for 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, you're very much a part of that history of that home, uh, whether, you know, you were uh, buying it or renting it. You're mm -hmm. very much part of that. But let me ask you, um, in everything that you've done, a lot of the things that you've done, it's all been documented in articles and all of that. Um, do you think that the newspapers here, in particular with like the Austin American Statesman, mm -hmm. um, they've been, you know, that they've recorded the history of, of the community at Mexicano, mm -hmm. um, correctly, or have they sort of, at times, you know, put the wrong thing in there? Well, um, at times, uh, sometimes they don't quote you correctly. And even if you ask them, I, I do not want to mix in this. You know, this is what it is. This is our neighborhood, and this is what I'm saying. Can I see the article before? Oh, sure, of course. Of course not. They're not going to show you. They just edit it, and I guess they just interpret what you meant to say or whatever they want to say. But uh, they've given us some coverage, but many a times I, I call them to come out and uh, see what actually we, that we have done. Can you come to this event, to our Fiesta del Barrio, that we no longer have? Can you come in and see what our children are doing on Saturday mornings when Adela used to have it there at the Q uh, house? They, that's not written in anything like that. Yeah. The good, the, uh, the good that that we do put out, like at Christmas time, many of the many of the families cannot afford to go out to the mall and have um, the children take a picture with Santa Claus. We used to do that there at the Q House. We used to uh, have on a, uh, two Saturdays that you bring your child in and they take a picture with Santa Claus and get a basket and a, a, a gift. Yeah. I don't recall that, that they had put out. For, if I may say, for the viewer who is, or for the listener that is going to be um, doing this research and they listen to your interview, can you talk about what the Q House is and who it is named after? Oh. Just on on me again. <laughs> See, yes, the, um, the, the Q house was the Quintanilla house. And um, Anita Quintanilla was the owner. And she was the one that um, rented it out to us. Then uh, Mr. Rosales, I don't know what role he played with it. But at any rate, we were there. Uh, we were there about, I'm not too sure, about seven or eight years. I'm not. It's a long time that we were there. I spent endless times there, the nights, you know, working on different projects. And um, the community, we had at the Halloween party that was there. Uh, we had La Fiesta del Barrio. Um, we had art. The children would come in and do their art. Oh, and they would make, um, and you know, teacher, uh, they would make piñatas for their birthdays. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was something very neat that they, that they liked. And 
Uh, we had English as a second language, también teníamos ahí personas que would come out, uh, UT students that would volunteer to do that. Jane, um, Jane Haney vinía a hacer eso también. So um, the Q House meant a lot to us, the Q House. As one of the things in doing the chronological timeline mm -hmm. that we're working on for this project, and eventually we'll be at the MAC, uh, but during the chronological timeline, I was going back, like I said, from the late 60s to the present. I wanted to make sure we had the the uh, Centro Chicano and all that. And um, we didn't mean to leave it out, but the Q House wasn't well defined in our mm -hmm. doing this. And so Martha Cortera uh, made sure mm -hmm. that, that, that we were fully aware of the Q House because yes, it, it did play an important role before it all moved over to Juarez Lincoln, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but it was those moves, mm -hmm. and uh, but uh, uh, it is, it, as you said, it did play a very important role mm -hmm. because a lot of the local artists here, yes. you know, uh, were very active there, and that's where they found their their um, I don't want to say shelter, but sort of a place for them to all get together and to do their, their craft and to talk and to, you know, um, get more involved. Exactly, networking. Yeah. And if there was always the involvement of the community. Yeah. Now, let us go to, so you've been very much active in so many things, but let's now talk about your role with Las Guadalupanas. Okay. Uh, the Guadalupanas, I became a Guadalupana in 1980 and um, at Our Lady of Guadalupe with um, uh, Father Diaz commissioned me. Uh, Margaret Camacho was the uh, president then and uh, I was very active there with the Jamaicas and the board and there and coming to Cristo Rey as well, but Cristo Rey did not have Guadalupanas. So um, I was doing two parishes, and it was very hard. And then um, finally, uh, my husband said, but you know, you're wearing yourself out on those Jamaicas and this. And so I decided to just to stay there and at Cristo Rey. And uh, then I uh, said, well, no hay Guadalupanas aquí. And so I went ahead and uh, talked to the priest. And uh, I, la señora Celeste, Tina Chapa, Florentina Chapa, la señora Florentina Chapa, este andaba colectando dinero para uh, la celebration of Our Lady of Guadalupe on December 12th, and I, I right away jumped at it, I said, yes, I can help you, le ayudo, so I helped her, and then we did the celebration, and then I asked her, I said, you know, las Guadalupanas aquí, donde, dice, aquí no hay, so, I approached the priest and he said, well, one of the things that needs to happen is that you need to do a research. If they are Guadalupanas here, or they were Guadalupanas, then all you're gonna do is pick, pick up where they left off. There's not, it's not, you don't need to do a new group, but with that you need to go to the chancery and do a research, no, and I said, okay, that'd be, that'd be fine. So there were, when I was uh, going through all the things there, the chancery asking questions, where did they have it? No, they had a Cristeras. Of course, Cristo Rey 
Roman Catholic Church. It was started in a capillita in Santa Rita or Santa Rosa, one of the two. Este, allí con la señora, también she's going to have in cappuccino. And so they had tristeras, they had altar y rosario, la legión de María, Carmelita, Sagrado Corazón. And, um, but they did not have Guadalupanas. So I told the priest that this, I brought me on what I had done already and some pictures that they allowed me to know. One of the ladies just loaned me her a picture where they first started La Capilla. And so then I told the priest and he says, okay, let's go ahead. We, but I don't want the same people involved in different ministries and then you know, take you take them out of this ministry, you come here. And I said, oh no, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll work it out very well. So I approached Miss um, Florentina Chapa and I asked her, I said, ¿Usted quiere formar un grupo? Y ella dijo que sí. So then I said, okay, um, we're going to do, we're going to sign up the members in such a day. Okay, sure, we want to do that. Que eso es muy necesario y que bueno. The day that we had chosen, it, it was in February, and it was very, it was very cold and very rainy. It was raining, and then I called Miss Ms. Florentina, and I said, Señora Chapa, es que está ahorita lloviendo, no voy a poder ir. No, señora, ya dijo que la Virgen de Guadalupe, y vamos a hacerlo. Oh, my God, venga por mí. So I went to pick her up. And we went inside the church because we were supposed to, we, our duties were after the Mass. We would be announcing, but after Mass we would be signing up people. And there we were, the lady, the lady was very much up in her years and she was ready to go. And she said, oh, no más es agua, it's just, vamos. I said, oh, okay. So we did, we signed up people and we, um, we formed our Guadalupanas, and we were uh, commissioned on uh, when they beatified a San Juan Diego. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mrs. Chapa, she took sick, and she was in the hospital, and she couldn't, she couldn't come. So we, so actually, she Florentina Chapa is the first Guadalupana there at uh, Cristo Rey Catholic Church. And because she was commissioned in the hospital. Ah. And después de eso, she came to a couple of meetings and she was active. Dios se le al cielo. Yeah. But um, she was a very active person there at, at Cristo Rey. But what year did she pass away? Do you remember? Mm -hmm. And I might have some information because when we first talked but about the project. That was 90. Been around '94. I'm not sure, but I'm sure Gavino knows. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know that when we first talked about the project, possibly with Wolubanas and uh, all of that, uh, that's one of the things. That's where I became. I guess I, like I think I mentioned to you. I don't like to look at obituaries mm -hmm. at all. I mean, I don't like to read obituaries. But we started to look for obituaries of any. A lady that might have passed away and that would have a member of Loa Lopanas, always. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, and then that's where you really begin to see yes. 
that it meant a lot to them, to the family. Exactly. And it's just not when we say Sociedad Guadalupana, it's, um, oh, all they do is make tamales. Mm -hmm. All they do is uh, do the breakfast. No, we don't. Um, la señora, um, uh, the lady from, she was a Guadalupana at Guadalupe, and la uh, señora Alvarado, I mean, in, in the Jesucita, I would say, Tenemos que, vamos a tener que hacer esto y vamos a nosotros a pagar, vamos a hacer propaganda. And we're going to do all we can to help the church. Not only that, but then we have to reach out to the young people. Yeah. To the young people. And don't think that because we're up in our years, we cannot communicate with them. And I'm going like, what? And... Uh, she would say, we need to stand up, and uh, you know, Ms. Camacho as well, Margaret would say, you need to reach out to that population. And that's where it was. So I learned a lot from Our Lady Guadalupe uh, Guadalupanas that um, when I announced to them that I no longer would be there, I was their president, but that I would form a Guadalupana group and that I would put everything that I have learned, I would use it over here, which I did, which I did. And um, it, it was hard. It's not an easy thing to uh, convince our priest, our bishop, that we are needed. And it is not just being a Guadalupana to per se. Tenemos we do have a commitment to Our Lady of Guadalupe to spread her, to, to, to honor her. Yeah. We don't worship her. We honor the Mother of God. And with that honor, we spread it to the younger generation, to other people. We do the rosary, and it's not just because, los pon because we want to go say the rosary. No, we had to be instructed to say the rosary. We need to have a meaning to say this rosary. And, um, and now we are being instructed to, because we do visit the sick, but in visiting the sick, we are learning now what it takes uh, to help a person when morir. And it's not that when we we don't only visit the people that are getting ready to die, but in visiting the, the sick, we also do readings. And while they are still, while they are, are still with their memory, that their sound, they request the priest. We give them the option, but it's them that decide. Vamos si quiero venir, because when you take a priest to a person that's already in agonia, that's already in their agony, I mean, sure, she gets, the person gets the blessing, but what if this person wanted to uh, talk to a priest? And so we're instrumental in that. Mm -hmm. So now we're learning more. And as we do all that we can to, um, to spread the uh, the um, rituals to our generation to spread the word 
of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, the bishop, Bishop Vasquez, has, um, we have already given him what we do so that we can get a federal, vamos a hacer una federación. And in doing that, uh, Miss Eva Barron, instrumental, Maria Elena uh, Basan Ramirez, my sister, she is also working with the um, with that group because all of us have different needs and different the Diocese of Austin now, all the Diocese of Austin came to the table and in September we presented it, we went to Run Rock to St. Williams and we presented what Guadalupanas do, what we're planning on doing. And so um, we would be federated uh, with, with the diocese. Yeah. How many groups all total do you know? Yeah. Oh, gee. Uh, here in Austin alone, all of them. The Santa Julia, Guadalupanas, and uh, Dolores, Arredo Guadalupe, Cristo Rey, um, San Jose. Um, St. Um, Ignatius. I is the San Francisco de Javier, and then it includes um, Bastrom, and Buda, and Taylor, and Maynard, Waco. So all of us came to the table. So uh, we're, we're are pretty much now nearly too close. I think we go back like in January. But in the meantime, this table is getting together. Yeah. This board is getting together. Okay. And then seeing all that, all that we do besides the rosaries, besides helping in La Jamaica, besides visiting the sick and uh, having the rosaries here at the uh, funeral homes, um, doing different things that we're needing to do. Sometime back, and again going back to... Oh, I failed to mention something. Uh, Guadalupanas has been a group for many years, nada más uh, mujeres, no más Guadalupanas. And in 1980, uh, we went ahead, and I was at Guadalupe, and I was there being a Guadalupana, and then after two years, I was um, elected to the presidency. I was president of Guadalupanas, and uh, See, the, the husbands always help as yeah. well. And so some of the younger people that were there, they said, I wish that my husband would be a Guadalupano because he's always helping. And so I said, well, let's, let's bring it up. You know, when we have our meeting, let's bring it up, you know. Mm -hmm. So they did, and they said, so of course I was all for it. I felt that that was really, you know, good to have the men as well. But we had some Guadalupanas from way back then that we respect. La Señora Alvarado, La Señora Jesucita, um, and other ladies there that said, um, no, este, una, aquí somos Guadalupanas, y así no se va a quedar. So then with that, we brought it again, and again, I think like four, four times, and we voted, and then on the fourth time, it passed, and um, the lady said, uh, Dena Maria, where was her last name, Dena Mariquita, 
Anyway, she said, bueno, pues ya que pasó que vamos a tener hombres aquí de guadalupanos, pero nunca van a ser presidentes. <laughs> no van a tener las palabras es guadalupanas. So, um, they, y quiero que las pongan en, en los reglamentos. So we did, you know, they did it on the reglamentos. But then as time passed, well, it was chosen uh, also Guadalupanos, the men were also um, voted to be president. But um, I am just honored to be a Guadalupana. Yeah. And I'm very honored and I'm hoping that I'll always be a Guadalupana. Yeah. Let me ask you, what is the future like for this next generation? Do you think that they will continue? That um, it is it is my hope that they will continue to be uh, Guadalupanos, Guadalupanas always. We have to just um, educate our young folks to to be Roman Catholics and to honor Our Lady of Guadalupe, Nuestra Patrona. We used to go for 25 years to La Peregrinación Tejana and um, Al Santuario de Guadalupe in, in Monterrey. Mm -hmm. But now, this past three years, it's been very hard, you know, because of the situation there that we haven't gone, but we would take uh, 50 buses over there. Mm -hmm. And uh, then it went down, and then the last one was like 30 buses that we took over there with the OK tours. And uh, over there, we would, would start the celebration over there mm -hmm. the day after Thanksgiving. Oh. That Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and uh, La Peregrinación, and with a lot of um, matachines, concheros, and they would walk over there. And I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. Y aquí la señora um, Virginia Ruiz, she spearheaded the um, Peregrinación de la Virgen de Guadalupe that started at uh, Guadalupe, Casa Guadalupe here in Spence. And uh, I've continued to help since. Well, I've, I've um, like I said, I, and, and someday we're going to do that project. We will do a project where it will be on the Guadalupanas because that's very much needed, I think. Mm -hmm. um, now, we're getting close to the end here now. Well, it has a, a, a long name, Unity. Uh, it's with the uh, educator that's over here in Springdale. And um, La Fuente Learning Center. Oh, yeah, with uh, Gonzalez. With uh, Olga. Oh, Olga Cuellar. Right. Yes. She was one of the Voces de Latinas. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, and, and, and that is a very well deserving. There I am on the board, yeah, and yeah. very active with them. But is your husband also? Yes, yes that's what I thought. Yes, and talk about a little is. bit about your husband, because you know, <laughs> I, I omitted him at the beginning when I was asking about um, your, your family and so forth, and I didn't say also include uh, your husband and your children. Right. My husband, uh, Frank Martinez, and my son, my oldest son, is Juan Alberto Martinez. Jesus Martinez and Adela 
Martinez Cisneros, mm -hmm. she's married. And they, if it weren't for my family that supports me of what I do, I don't think I could go through it. My husband is a very big supporter of mine, and he helps, well, he helped out with the kids when they were growing up as well. And I had very good neighbors that um, <laughs> they would take care of my kids while I would be going out to, um, to my meetings. And um, I, I have to mention her. I have to mention uh, Maria Elena Hernandez. Um, we called her Nan. I told her, I said, you know, they want me to be um, in the planning commission, but that's every Tuesday. And I don't know if I can do that because, you know, the kids are in school and I have to make their, their supper. And she said, don't worry about it. You go for it, girl. I'll help you. And she would make my supper on Tuesdays. <laughs> and um, my, my husband would take care of my kids. And my children have been very supportive, mm -hmm. been very supportive of me, and, um, and I really appreciate that. That's I really, because that's what family yeah, is about. That's what, yeah, that's the good thing about, you know, um, getting, being able to do what you were brought to do, to be here for, and, and then to have that support to allow you to do it, mm -hmm. and to have the community also to support also, which is another thing. Now, is there anything that you feel that we should discuss before we close that hasn't been mentioned already? The future of East Austin. <laughs> the future of East Austin, I love East Austin, and uh, I know it has changed a lot. It really has, and um, the decision-making people council and um, that uh, would have made it better for us to keep our homes because many have really left East Austin because they can't afford the taxes. They um, can't afford to upbring their homes. Um, and uh, it, But to me, I feel strongly that it will repeat itself. Maybe I won't be here in 50 years, who knows, not even in tomorrow, but but still, I wish that East Austin would be still alive and vibrant. 